You know, something really amazing happening in our church right now, Futures Church, is really, really incredible. I'm telling you what's happening, and I want to tell you to get ready, get ready, get ready. Here's why. Because it's like a dam that's about to overflow. And what God's about to do in these next few months is going to blow your mind. It's going to change everything about what you see and know about God. And He wants you to understand, to strap in, to get ready, lean in, and absorb everything that He has for you. Because it is a new race. And if we're going to start a new race, we need more grace. You know, the most powerful force, as I said before, in the universe is grace. It's how we get changed from being the in the kingdom of darkness to being in the kingdom of light, but it's so much more. It's even hard to even say it that way, but it is so much more than just a one-off event. It is about a lifestyle every day. And I want to give to you 10 things uh, that the word charis, which is the word grace in Greek, charis, we get the word charisma from the word charis. We get the word gift from the word charis. We get the word joy from the word charis. And this is what it means. It literally means favor. It is undeserved approval, unmerited blessing, unconditional love, beneficial kindness, providential care, preferential treatment, exceptional privilege, full acceptance, unconstrained generosity, ongoing help, and assistance. I want you to understand how powerful this is. This is not like just getting a prize at the show. This is about having undeserved approval. God wants you to know how much He loves you and how much He proves you that He wants to bless you, unconditionally love you, bring beneficial kindness to you, bring providential care to you, preferential treatment to you, right? Because when you are blessed by God, when the grace of God is on you, those things happen. Exceptional privilege, full acceptance, unconstrained generosity from God and ongoing help and assistance. And you can add a hundred things to that list. That was just my 10. You know, in July 2019, I had researched grace. I had preached on grace. I had thought and tried and wrestled to grasp grace because it seems like the wind. It's difficult to grasp. I knew what it meant to be saved by grace. I understood what that meant, that it was undeserved preferential treatment from God, that He gave me unmerited favor so that I could come into relationship with Him. I understood that, but really I was two inches deep. And I remember I was at a conference, I was going to a conference, and it was an 18,000-seater Superdome, and... I had jet lag. I'd flown to Australia, but I had jet lag, and so I'd slept in. So I had a seat in the first couple of rows, and uh, of course, I didn't make it to my seat. I didn't want to embarrass myself in the middle of the preacher. So I uh, stood at the back, and I heard this statement that began this chain of events that changed my life from being a two-inch preacher on grace to understanding far more of the depths of His grace. And as I was standing there, he made this statement. He said, and I'm going to read it out. He said, you need to start living in grace, not works. He then went on to say, and this is the part that captured me, you need to live in supply and stop living in demand. You need to live in supply, 
not in demand. Well, I know that word from my study of uh, microeconomics and understanding the law of supply and demand, understanding how that controls so much of the market and all those kinds of things. So when he said that, God wants you to live in supply, not in demand. And it's got me going. What does he mean? How do I do that? Wow, there is something about this. And it grabbed my attention. And I realized that I'd been living in demand. I'd been living, trying to live obediently. I'd been trying to live by principles. I'd been living that way. I'd been trying to live by faith, but I was living in demand. I was not living in supply. This message I know is going to speak to many of us because this is not just about your money. This is about your family. This is about your health. This is about your future. God wants you to live in supply, not in demand. We know a bit about grace. We know about saving grace because Romans 5 says this, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we understand grace comes from Jesus' death on the cross and God, even though we don't deserve it, God gives us His love and saves our lives, changes our lives, transforms our lives. We're a new person with a new destiny in Christ. We know that the grace was free. We know we can't work for it. We can't do good to get good. But something happens to every one of us after we've received that grace. We start trying to work for everything else. We start trying to strive for everything else. We start trying to make it happen all by ourselves. You know, how do I know I received grace in the first place? Well, when I got saved, when I found Jesus, what happened was this. All, I had peace in my spirit, okay? Peace in my spirit, what does that mean? Well, I didn't wake up in the morning thinking, what's the meaning of my life? Why am I here? What's going on? What am I supposed to do? I don't understand all of those things. Suddenly that, those questions were settled. Ah, God put me here on purpose, my birthday was just my earth day when God launched me to do something. And I realized that and all those big questions left me. And that's called saving grace. Ephesians 2 says it this way, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Now remember last week I said this, grace is like a plane. That is, it's the transport system to get you from Georgia to California or wherever else you want to go, to Sydney. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast about how good they are, right? We know that. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So for us by grace, we've been saved through faith. So God's part is to supply the plane. My part is to believe that the plane flies. To believe that the plane will get to Sydney in 16 hours. It will make it. And when I hop on the plane, I don't fly to Sydney. I'm not flapping my wings. I'm allowing grace to transport me to my destination. Does that make sense? So grace is all of God's part. Faith is my response to God's part. Okay, and that's what we need to understand. So he says there's two things going on here. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not yourself and so on. This is called saving grace. We understand that version of grace. But grace is taught like a moment, like it's a moment, like it's happens. Okay, I've got grace now. 
No, it's a day-by-day experience, and I want to open your mind to daily grace, living out of supply, not out of demand. Put up your hand if you'd like to live out of supply and not out of demand. Wouldn't that be awesome? Only 18 of us, all right? The rest of you want to live out of demand, great. (laughs) I know you just couldn't put your hand up. It's early in the morning. Now, it's actually not. It's almost 11 o'clock. So here's a quote that I want to read to you that I think is profound, right? It says this. The illiterate of the future will not be those who can't read or write, but those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. Part of our success in the future is not just what we learn, it's what we unlearn. Some of us have sat and we've heard the same thing, so it's etched in our minds so strongly. It's a pattern, but it's not God's pattern, it's someone's pattern, and if we don't want to be illiterate in the future, we have to unlearn as much as we learn. And then we have to relearn. So what do we need to unlearn about grace? Okay, what we need to unlearn about grace is that it's not a one-off moment. It's not just to get me to heaven. Grace is not just about that moment is what happens with most of us is we start with grace, it was undeserved, unearned favour, and then we begin working hard. Trying, you know, the blame game, the shame game, all those things we start, we start working hard, but we got saved because of no work on our behalf, and yet now we're still trying to fly to Sydney. We've taken the place of grace and turned it into works, striving, self-effort. Doesn't mean you don't work hard, but it means that you're working from grace. You're not working to try to get something. You're working from supply, not from demand. I'll explain it a little bit more. So what happens is we end up doing things by self-effort. The struggle, the strive, the trying to get there. Now we need to work hard. That's not the point. Hard work, Never killed anybody, but let me tell you something. Having the wrong heart about it all will damage your health and vitality. And that's the point. God wants you to live by grace. Right through the Bible, I'm only going to read a couple of verses, but right through the Bible it said that. Let me read to you Romans 5.17, written by the greatest works man in history, the Apostle Paul. Killing Christians, doing all this work, he thought for God, working, striving. And he has a revelation. This is what he says. For if, by, if because of one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace? Let's read it together. Let's start at the beginning. For if because of one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Where are we reigning? In life. What do we have to do to reign in life? Receive. Not earn it. I must receive it to reign in life. We talked about Moses last week, who in one season of his life embraced new grace and it empowered him to lead a bunch of people into great uh, victory. The second part, chapter of his life, he refused new grace and it disqualified him from his destiny. So you can be a grace embracer at the beginning, but not be a grace embracer in a month. We have to do it as a daily 
discipline that we are reigning in life. I want to reign in life. Put up your hand if you don't want to reign in life. I thought so. That's an easy question. Put up your hand if you do want to reign in life. Come on. It reign in family, reign in work, reign in life. You want to be the head, not the tail. Put up your hand if you want to be the top, not the bottom. Okay? Well, at least pass halfway, you know. You know what I'm saying, right? It says this, For if by, because of one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life? Your destiny is to reign in life if you embrace grace. That's what he's saying. Not embracing in here every day. And we're going to teach you, I'm going to teach you over the next few weeks, how to embrace grace for the race. Because there is a way. Honestly, when I went from two inches deep in my understanding to 20 fathoms deep in my understanding with so much more to explore about grace, it changed my life. It literally took me six months of deep diving study after that 2019 experience for me to even get a portion of grace. It's unfathomable, it's amazing, but it's available. And my job is to receive it, not earn it. Whew. Romans 6 says this. This is how we know we're reigning. For sin shall no longer be your master. For you're not under law, but under what? Grace. When you embrace grace, you become the master. Sin is no longer the master. Who like to be the master of the bad things you do in your life and the bad thoughts that you have? Come on, put up your hand. It's all right. we're, all, we're all the same. We've all got them. This is not a name and shame anyone, because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Hebrews 4.16, he says, Let us then approach God's throne of what? Grace. With what? Confidence. Why? So that we may find grace to help us in our time of need. Paul is saying as amazing as grace is for that salvation experience, it wasn't just given as something to get you saved. It was given to you again and again and offered over and over as a means to reign in life, to reign in your marriage, to reign in your emotions, to reign in your business, to reign in your family, to reign in your health, to succeed in life, to live above the storm. There is an ocean of life and it's our choice to swim it or sail it. Put up your hand if you want to sail it, not swim it. <laughs> Me too, right? There are sharks out there. And I'm scared of sharks. I'm from Australia where the big white pointers are. Nothing like these little gummy sharks off the coast of... Anyway, we won't get that. We're talking about big sharks. We're talking about... Anyway, they just sniff and you're gone. That's how big those sharks are. Anyway, moving on. So life is an ocean. It's like a washing machine. Do I want to surf it? Do I want to sail it or do I want to struggle swimming through the rips and trying to avoid all the deadly animals in the ocean? Grace, life is like an ocean and grace allows you to sail as opposed to struggle and swim. Okay, and so God wants us to embrace the grace so that we live in supply not in demand. I'll explain it in a minute what that means. To live in supply, not in demand. It liberated my life. I'm a pretty diligent kind of person, right? 
So I'm a person who lives by principle. I live by principle. I tried to be diligent. I failed many times. But I'll tell you what, when I got hold of grace, it changed my life. True grace from God is not a slippery slope to some bad place. It is the most empowering power God can offer. His free, undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. Grace means favor. It means to be His favorite. It means that you are under His grace. He's looking out for you. In fact, the word grace, if you were to take into the secular world, actually meant in the Greek times something beautiful, something attractive. Let me give you an example of how that works and how favor works with charis. Charis, which means favor and grace. So let's say there's a, a bunch of guys who are looking after a shop somewhere. Well, they've got a few customers in the shop and then in through the door walks a pretty woman. Immediately, though they will deny it, all their attention is there. There's something attractive about that person that makes them want to help them, right? They get that extra help, right? Let me help you. And the word grace in the Greek meant beauty. It meant attractiveness. What's God saying? He's saying, listen, when I see you walk in the shop, I immediately want to help you. You're attractive to me. You're so attractive to me that I want to give you my resources. I want to give you my power. I want to give you everything you need to reign in life. You are my, the pride and joy of my life. You are the apple of my eye. I love you so much that I will dedicate as much resource as you can handle to fulfill the call that I've called you to do. That's what God's grace is, right? And God says, you're like that beautiful or that handsome guy that walked in the shop. You'll get all the attention. I'm giving you all my attention and I'm gonna give you my help. There are other times, let's talk about different kinds of attractiveness. Let's talk about you walk into a business meeting and I've been into many of these. And as you're sitting talking with these different people, they there's something about you and they say, I wanna do a deal with you. What makes them, not only am I going to do a deal with you, we had, we had this kind of deal on this building, right? Not only am I going to do it, we're going to do a deal with the church, but because I like you, I'm going to see if you can take over our loan so you don't have to get your own loan. Well, who does that? It doesn't work. And guess what the bank said? Yes. What was that? That person had favor towards me. Because of the favor on me because I was the one doing the negotiating, God, God used them to divert their resources and help to help us buy this building. We hadn't even started a campus and we bought this building. What? And it gets paid for by someone else. Hello. That's a pretty good deal, everybody. That's the grace of God, right? And so imagine this, if that guy thought, wow, I like him, I want to help him, I'm going to do something to help him that I don't normally do, that's called favor, that's called grace. So God thinks like of you like that, how can I help them? Our secret is, can I embrace the grace instead of going after the chase? 
I'm trying to find rhyming words here, folks. We're in the chase instead of embracing the grace. And then when we're in the chase, we lose the race. God wants you to win the race. The only way you're gonna win it is by embracing His grace, His power, His resources, His love, His favour is shed towards you. It's, it's leaning towards you. And what it did to me was this. I don't wanna swim the ocean, I'm gonna sail it. Any other sailors here? Right? Anyone want to sail the ocean? Oh, everyone's got that as a romantic dream. Well, guess what? It's true. You can sail the ocean of life. Grace in your sails. Grace lifting you above the struggle. Grace giving you a shortcut. Grace speeding up the result. Who wants a bit of grace? Okay. And all we have to do is believe the plane can fly. You could walk to California. I don't suggest you do. Or you can catch the plane. I'm catching the plane. And that's what God's saying to us. Catch the plane. Would you catch the plane? All right. I'm scared of planes. No, catch the plane. And what it did for me was this. It made me reorganize my whole life. Because if grace is that important, I promise you, I'm an old youth pastor, right? I'm used to going to bed at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, whatever. Staying up late, getting up as late as possible, but stay, you know, whatever. And then you have kids and you have to get, you stay up late and get up early and it's just a bad life. So I made a decision to change my life because I wanna capture this grace. I wanna get this grace. I wanna be in the place where I can receive grace. So I changed my whole life to getting up at 5 a.m. every morning. It was the biggest struggle for three months, but I was so determined to embrace new grace for the new race that I changed my whole habits. My wife is an early morning riser. I'm a late morning riser. I'm a late to bed person, and I change it. I now go to bed by 9.30 p.m. Now, I've been waking up at 3 a.m., just in case you're wondering. 3 a.m. the last 30 days, I think it's my average wake up, but I keep a record on my Apple sleep cycle so I can get up and I can pray. What am I doing at 5 a.m.? I have no distractions. There's no, uh, no children uh, that are going up. They're all, you know, 20 years age and, and the youth pastor lives in our basement as well. So, but they're not up. They're youth pastors. They stay up late and get up late, right? I'm by myself. The little kids are not there. Jane's not uh, there. I'm by myself from 5 a.m. till about 7.30. What an incredible opportunity to embrace grace. No distractions. I can't have any appointments. Nobody wants to meet me at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> New grace, it's all for you. And if you'll stick with this, I promise you, this is not just a nice series. This is the fundamentals of how to sail through life, not struggle through life. Doesn't mean there won't be storms, but man, you're still sailing, not swimming with the sharks. And I do it, get up at 5 a.m. I'm not bragging to you, I'm just telling you how I changed my life because I want it to be an example to you. If I've lost my reward by telling you it, so be it, you'll get the reward. I get up that early so I can pray, I can embrace. But here's the thing, John 1, 16 and 17, says this, see if I can find that verse somewhere. I wrote it down. See if I can find it. John 1, 16 and 17. I might have deleted it from my final list. John 1, 16 and 17. I haven't got it here. I'm gonna look it up. Let me go to my Bible app, see if I can get it. Ready? 
This is called a pit stop that was unscheduled. Here we go. John. I hate keyboards on iPads. Anyway, here we go. All right. This better be good, right? From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. He's trying to get us the point. Then he goes on and says this. For the law was given through Moses, the Ten Commandments, plus the 613 the Jews invented on top of that, came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So guess what I realized? If I embrace Jesus fully in the morning, if I get hold of Jesus, I've just got hold of grace. Simple, but there's obviously outworkings to it. But it's this, if, I, if, if grace came through Jesus, Jesus is grace personified. When I get hold of Jesus every day, I embracing new grace. Every time I embrace Jesus, I embrace new grace. Make sense? I embrace new grace. So, let me ask you a question. Are you worried about anything? These questions you don't have to answer, just in your heart. What are you worried about? What things? Is it your kids? Is it your grandkids? Is it your spouse? Is it a mother or father? Is it your business? Are you stressed by interest rates increases, by slowness of the USCIS? Only immigrants like me would understand that. Are you fearful? Are you angry? More angry than you should. Are you rejected, feel rejected easily or insecure? Then you need to correct your believing about God and embrace His grace. God not only loves you, He's proud of you. God's gone into your future and has come back like a tour guide and wants to show you through your life and show you that the plans He has for you are plans that when you embrace the grace for the race, are plans to sail the ocean of life, are plans to catch the, catch the plane, not walk to California. Understanding grace is the cure for the poisoned mind. Our minds have been poisoned by wrong thinking. It's the antidote for the unsure heart. Second Corinthians says this, and he said, my grace is what? Sufficient means enough. You don't need anything else. It's not my grace plus, grace plus, grace double plus. All your grace is sufficient for me. My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, it doesn't matter how weak you are. I have grace, which is the filler of the hole that you're lacking in. I fill it. My grace fills that hole. Let's keep going. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's every part of our life. John says it this way, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now the word prosper has received bad press because people have taken it to mean one thing. Prosper means simply this in the Greek, to have a good journey. Who's ever been on a good trip? Put up your hand if you've been on a good trip, right? Who's ever been on a bad trip? 
You know the difference. He says, I wish that you have a good trip. This is how a good trip looks like to me if I'm taking my children to Disney World. Having a good trip means as I back out the driveway, there's no work for two weeks. It means driving down the highway and having fun on the way. And it means I know where I'm going as well. God wants you to know where you're going, have fun on the way and know what you're leaving behind. That's a good trip right there, everybody. That's called prosperity. Come on, yeah, let's thank the Lord. He's awesome. Prosperity is for you. I want a good trip. Put your hand up if you want a bad trip. I'll give you mine. All right. So he goes on and says this, and God is able to make all grace. Everybody say the word grace. Grace. Overflow. It doesn't even just get to the top of the cup. It overflows to you so that always having, look at the words, always. So hang on, let's start again. And God is able to make all grace, not some grace, not a bit of grace, all grace overflow, not just reach the top halfway, so that having that always, not sometimes, having all, not a bit of, sufficiency, that's ability in everything, not some things, you may have an abundance, not just scraps, for every good deed. What? What kind of promise is that? Man, we could just drop the mic and let's go home. Right at that point, okay? You can have abundance for every good. Put up your hand. And I'm asking you to put up your hand, but I've got to walk all day, so I've got to, you just need to do something here. Put up your hand if you'd like to have that verse as a reality in your life. Come on. Father, we pray right now for every hand raised. I pray every person that is embracing grace for the race, that you would give to them the 2 Corinthians 9, 8 verse as their reality in their life. I speak it in Jesus' name and I declare change and I declare your will and your purpose and I declare that fear would go, worry would go and in its place would come love and power and all the things we need, the grace of God to do all that you've asked us to do in Jesus' name, amen. So let's remind ourselves what grace is. Grace is God's favor, God's blessing, God's miracles, God's healing, God's provision and supply for all you need. So when he said you've got to live in supply, he's talking about grace. Grace is God's supply. Let me give you an example. Who's got little children? Put up your hand if you've got little children. Okay. Imagine going on, this is probably more applicable to women and mums than it is to dads. Sorry, dads. You'll, you'll understand in a minute. Imagine the scene. We're going to the lake, kids. We're going to go out by the beach there. And Uncle Harry's bringing his boat. We're going to have fun at the lake today. Does everyone want to go? Yes, yes, yes. So they hop in the car. Let's go, Mum. Let's go, Mum. Let's go, Mum. Mum puts the bag in the car. They hop in the car. They drive to the lake. There is not one second of that drive that those children are thinking has mum packed sandwiches? We're five, you know. We, we know that we're going to get hungry soon. Has mum packed that diaper for our one-year-old brother? Because I reckon he might need it now. None of the kids are thinking about, has mum supplied everything we need? Has she packed the sunscreen? Has she packed the wipes? Has she packed the juice bottles? 
Has she packed the bars? Wow, I'd be a great mum. Right? <laughs> Has she packed all those things? The kids are not thinking about that. They're like, get us to the lake. Why? Because they live in supply, not in demand. They realize that mum has packed the bag. If they were with dad, they might ask some questions. <laughs> but they're with mum, so they're all good, right? And they get in the car, and they just race to have fun, knowing that when they get hungry, mum, I'm hungry. Yep, I've got your ham sandwiches here, right? Your vegan sandwiches for your sister. <laughs> Such stereotyping, I love it. But they've not thought about any of those supplies. Why? Because they live in supply. They already know that mum has thought ahead. They don't even think like that even. It just happens. And what God's saying is, I'm your dad. And I'm as good as your mum. <laughs> and I've got all the supply you need because you're under my grace my grace means supply. My grace means help. My grace means favour. Right? Favour. Favour. Okay. And favour is not some kind of random superficial word that means nothing. It means to be deeply loved by God and to be His favourite. He, you are His favourite. Just because you're so confined and so shallow, you can only give your love to one or two people. Don't judge God by your depth. Don't judge your father by your incapacity. Judge him by who he is. That means he can love all of us as favorites because we accepted grace to start with. As soon as you accepted the big gift of grace, which is Jesus, you get everything that Jesus is, everything that Jesus was, everything that Jesus will be. You get all of that in the package, live in supply, not in demand. Don't live thinking, oh, where's God forsaken me? Where are you, God? Help me. He said, I want you to live in supply. Remember what Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will liberally supply, fill unto full your every need according to what? Your bank balance. According to Joe Biden's economic theories. Or according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Wow. What are the symptoms of grace? Let's move quickly so I haven't got much time. But let me give this to you. Who's enjoying this message? Who's getting something out of it, right? Come on. So what are the symptoms of grace? What are the symptoms? making me want to run. I'm one of those people that can't dance, so you'll laugh, so I won't do that. What are some symptoms of grace? What are the symptoms of grace? You ready? Here's a symptom of grace. This is how you can test. Now, this is what we do. None of us do this unless you're a real worry wart, we'll call you. When I'm feeling healthy, I don't go, oh, but I may not be healthy. I better go to the doctor and have a few tests. I know I feel healthy, my brain feels healthy, my body feels healthy, I feel really healthy, but gee, I might not be healthy, so let's go get those blood tests, and let's go get those x-rays, and let's go get those, uh, you know, MRIs, let's go get all of those. Of course we don't do that, right? Because we know we're healthy, right? So one of the ways you can tell whether you've embraced grace is to look at the symptoms of not having grace. Does that make sense? Let's put it in reverse. What are the symptoms of not having grace? I'll give it, I'll give it to you some. 
right? The symptoms, oh, let me give you the symptoms of grace, and then we'll talk about the symptoms which are the opposite of this. So the symptoms of grace are peace. If you're not in peace, you need grace. Calmness. I know it's hard for some people. Confidence, poise, security, assurance, boldness, rest in your soul. When you're angry, you are not in grace. When you are worried, you're not in grace. When you're depressed, you're not in grace. When you're fearful, you're not in grace. I know a lot about that. I wrote a book on it. When you're lacking assurance, you're not in faith. You're not in grace. The symptoms of grace is rest and peace, assurance and confidence, boldness. That's how I know I've embraced new grace for the day. It's how I know I need to go back and surrender myself to God and embrace Jesus again and accept His grace. Put myself under His grace. What does that mean? I take the problems that I have, and there's been some big problems I've had to take to God. There seemed to be no way out, but I put it under His grace. What am I putting it under His favor, under His resources, under His help, under His love, under His kindness, under His favoritism towards me, under all of the blessings that He has, all of the resources He has, I put myself under that. Grace upon grace upon grace, the Bible tells us. How do you know when you're embracing new grace for the race? When your soul is at peace and rest. Matthew 8, 23 tells a story of Jesus in the storm, right? We know this Jesus got into the boat with His disciples. He goes to sleep. Why does Jesus go to sleep? He's living in grace. He is grace. He's asleep. The storm's raging. The boat's going down. Water's pouring into the stern of the boat and into the bow as well. And they go wake Him up. Jesus was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, oh, you of little faith. No, not even any empathy from Jesus. <laughs> there, there, you're okay. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? I'll tell you who he is. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the grace giver. He is grace personified. When He's in your boat, it will not sink. The question is, is He in your boat? There are many storms that stop us sleeping. Jesus is sleeping because He is walking to the unforced rhythms of grace. Notice the storm doesn't wake Jesus up. It'd wake me up as the water splashing against my face. But Jesus is oblivious. Well, maybe he's not oblivious, but he's just rested in it. The waves are sinking their boat, water is sinking their boat, but none of it could wake Jesus up. Why? Because when Jesus is in your boat, it's not going to sink. There are many storms that stop us from sleeping. Parents who stay awake all night because of their kids. Workers who get so stressed about their job. People who get so concerned about their bills. Jesus was always in perfect poise, never under pressure by outward circumstances or internal stress because He was grace and lived under grace. And that's what He offers to you and I as followers of Jesus. 
Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is not talking about having a snooze in the afternoon, though it may include that. I will give you, I will give you rest. You won't have to earn rest. I'll give it to you. That's grace. Works is earn rest. Grace is I give rest. And then he says this, and you will find rest for your souls. So you may have rest in your spirit. You know where you're going when you die, but you may have unrest in your soul. Think about this. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was He tired when He made the earth? Wow, I'm so tired of putting those planets in place, of making the oceans. Wow, the seventh day, I'm taking a day off. It's been tough work this week. This is God, omnipotent, omniscient God. Of course He didn't have a sleep and didn't rest on the seventh day because He needed a rest. He rested on the seventh day to tell you how you're meant to live. You're meant to just understand that it's finished, that He's with you. He's in your boat. And if you'll embrace new grace for the race, whew, your life will change dramatic. We don't have time for me to tell you story after story after story. But this building is because of His grace. And today, if you're not sleeping, stressed, worried, not at peace, God wants to put His peace on you. You know, I love about this story, and I'll finish with this. We will go probably three or four minutes over time. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. Later on, the same Peter that woke Jesus up and shook Him and said, hey, we're going to drown, is now in a jail about to be beheaded. And what has he discovered somewhere between that moment and the book of Acts, chapter four or five? He's discovered grace for the race. And so the more night before he's about to be beheaded and killed, I can promise you if it was me, I'd be up thinking about it. Writing letters. What's Peter doing? So much so the angel comes in and slaps him up the side of the head. Wake up. Oh, something happened from what he saw in Jesus to now what he saw in himself. And God wants to take you on that journey because there is so much peace. There's so much power. There's so much enabling. You are loved so much by God. And if you would get under His grace, His favour, and all you have to do is say, I embrace it. I receive it. I need to get hold of Jesus. And over these next few weeks, stay with it because I promise you I'm gonna take you deeper and deeper. I'm gonna show you how.